Let us pray. Almighty God, give us a renewal of our strength this day, that we might be filled by your Spirit, that we might be led by that very Spirit to know your Word, to be convicted by your Word, to be changed by your Word. Help us, O Lord, to be who you have made us and intended us to be, that we would always go forth bearing Christ in us, that he would be made known through us and by us. Grant us always to more and more be reshaped and renewed into that image of your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we pray. Amen. So it was eight years ago, and a handful of days now, that I broke my ankle while I was working at the seminary bookstore. <clears throat> I was doing something stupid up on a ladder without anyone holding it, removing upper parts of our bookcases, and I lost my balance as one bookcase came loose, and I fell straight down on my ankle, and it shattered. And because it shattered, I had to have major surgery done to it. It had to be rebuilt, reshaped, remade by the doctors. It was a life-changing experience, to put it in the least, for our family. But after that occurred, there was a long road of recovery. It took huge amounts of effort to gain my mobility back. I spent about six or eight weeks in a solid cast and then another six or eight weeks wearing a boot. And once that cast was removed, the physical therapy began. The working of this foot and my ankle back and forth. The learning to rebalance myself. Just to simply return to basic functions was nigh impossible without the physical therapy. There were so many things I took for granted. For years, I couldn't even balance on my right foot, the ankle that I'd broken. I couldn't just stand on it like I could my left foot. It took a long time for all those tiny muscles and all those little tendons that had been weakened through recovery to regain their ability to hold me steady. And even to this day, I still can't quite stand as steady on my right foot as I used to be able to. But all that recovery, all that physical therapy required effort. It required work on my part. Even now, I can't even reach my full height on my tiptoes because my right ankle can't bend far enough. If I want to reach my full height on my tiptoes, I have to just simply stand on my left tiptoes and let my right foot dangle because I can't straighten it. I can't bend it down far enough. I can't squat anymore and rest on my tiptoes like I used to. Damage that has been done can't be completely undone. Full use was lost due to the level of damage. But yet, much use has returned. Much use has returned through healing through and the work that was necessary within the parameters of that healing. But the reality is, laziness on my part has led to me losing a little bit of that mobility that I had once regained. I'd regained some function, but... Laziness of not following up with the exercises, of not stretching my foot, of not bending my ankle and pushing 
the boundaries of what I could do have led to me losing some of my ability, some of the mobility I had regained. Because of that, there has been pain and stiffness that has returned. Pain and stiffness that were the very shadow that I fought against throughout my physical therapy. And so in some ways, I have to return every day to that basic stretching, through that pushing of my ankle of the mornings to pull those tendons and to loosen them back up for a new day of work. But this side of heaven, that ankle and that foot will never return to what it used to be. There has been healing, yes. Grand healing, great healing. But full and complete restoration waits another day. The work of the doctors done upon me has accomplished a great deal. But they can't get it all the way done because they are but men as I am but a man. It reminds me of the fall of Adam and Eve that that which was lost has been a little bit regained through Christ here on this side of heaven. Healing has begun. Healing is in process for us. But as Jesus reminds us today, that healing that has been begun is something that must be lived in, that must be striven in, that must be exerted in. That we have received a healing of soul, a healing of our spirits. And that healing is to be worked out through our bodies into this world. He has given us healing that we live in and that we walk in. And to not walk in that healing is to walk away from what Christ has done for us. And so we must walk in the healing that Christ has given to us. We must walk and strive through the narrow door that is Christ himself that he has opened for us. For he has healed us in such a way that we can walk into it. That we can walk with him and by him. And so he calls us to strive in light of the healing he has given us. And that's where we start this day, with striving. You see, as Jesus was traveling toward Jerusalem, toward his final week of life before his crucifixion, before his resurrection and new life being poured into him, through that resurrection life, someone came up to him and they said, Lord, how many shall be saved? Will those who are saved be few? And I love that Jesus doesn't answer his question. He answers a totally different question that's never been asked. And Jesus said, strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive to enter. For many, I tell you, will try to enter, will seek to enter, and will not be able. So instead of answering his question with a yes or no, will those who are saved be few? He looks at the man and says, strive. Strive to go through the narrow door. Strive forward toward the kingdom. Don't worry about how many will be in that kingdom at the end. That is God's business, but strive through the narrow door. Move forward always toward the work that God is doing in you. Don't mosey around outside the door. You have received the word of God, which brings your healing, so move forward in the word of God. Strive through the narrow door, Jesus tells this man and all those around him, for he moves into the plural at this point. He isn't just speaking directly to this man, but he's speaking to the crowds that are following him. Strive to enter through the narrow door. And the word strive here is not a word 
that's used on the battlefield where you're fighting a bunch of faceless enemies, where it's you and a bunch of other soldiers fighting against a bunch of other soldiers that you can't see that are just faceless enemies standing against you. The striving here is a striving that occurs in the arena or in a wrestling match. It is a close combat. It is a combat of face-to-face -face proportions. Our English word agonize arises from the Greek word for, for strive here. It is an agonizing fight. It is a fight that uses every bit of your energy and strength in the midst of it. It is a wrestling to enter through the narrow door that is before us. Remember, Jacob's name was changed to one who wrestles with God, one who contends, one who strives with God. He wrestled with God, and God let him win. Yahweh, in a way, submitted to Jacob in that wrestling match. And he did so out of grace. He did so out of the grace that had been received by Jacob and had been changing him over all those years of him wrestling with others, of him cheating and stealing from others, of him conniving and working against others for his own benefit. But yet there was grace working in Jacob, changing him. Yahweh had led him back to the promised land to be faced by his second greatest enemy, Esau himself. Jacob was scared to death of Esau. He didn't know what Esau was going to do. He didn't know what grudges Esau had in store for him. For after all, he had robbed Esau of the inheritance of the great blessing from their father Isaac. He had stolen it from him. He had tricked him. And then he fled. And so finally, at this point, as he knows he's about to have to confront Esau and all of the men, all of the servants, the small army that he is bringing with him, Jacob finally turns to prayer. He turns to pure prayer. And in the midst of that prayer, Yahweh comes down and wrestles against him. And Jacob won't stop. He won't give up until Yahweh brings a blessing, until Yahweh blesses him. And the blessing that Yahweh gave to Jacob in that moment was a new name, a new identity. Because Jacob had finally reached a new place. He had finally reached into God's grace and clung and held on to it in a new way. Knowing that it was only through Yahweh's leading that he is there in that moment. Only through Yahweh's guiding throughout his exile. And in that exile, the burning of many bridges with others. Only through Yahweh could he be brought to return here to the promised land to face the reality of all of his conniving and to finally face the possible consequences of all that cheating and stealing and conniving to finally face Esau who's brought an army which could destroy Jacob and his family because of his treachery so many years before. But and that striving with Yahweh, that desire for a blessing, that desire for Yahweh's care to be upon him and him being transformed in that moment, he gets also blessed with discovering his brother has been transformed. 
His brother, when they finally meet, comes and throws his arms around him and kisses him. And is overjoyed to finally see his brother once more after nearly two decades of him being gone. So Jacob strove for a blessing from Yahweh and received transformation and a new identity that he was then called to live in. And he discovers in the midst of that that Yahweh has transformed his own brother in all those years. And so Jesus now says, strive to enter through that narrow door. That striving is his intention to confront us with the reality of who and what we are in ourselves because that's what Jacob had to face. Jacob had to face up to all of his treachery during that wrestling match with Yahweh. He had to submit his own will, his own being, his own person to Yahweh as he was wrestling because it was in the midst of his prayers that he began wrestling. And we must be confronted with that, our inability, the fact that we are sinners, that we have broken God's law. God intends to bring us to our end, to the ends of our abilities, in order that we can see that they are nothing. He commands us now to wrestle with what the kingdom is, to wrestle with everything that we are. He intends us to see in the stark reality our very weakness. Our striving isn't through the strength of our own will. That's, I think, where I have always so often made a mistake with this text when I've read it in the past is strive to enter. I think of moral effort. I think of me working harder and harder and harder to drive out sin, to become a better person, to become a new kind of person. But it's not the strength of my will. It's not the strength of my muscles, the strength of my wit that is my striving. But my striving is discovered in my very weakness. Jesus told St. Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness. And thus this striving to enter through the narrow door isn't about my strength, but about my weakness being utterly revealed to me so that the fullness of the strength of Christ and His redemption can be made known to me and to you. As Christ commands us to strive, He will throw open the sin in our lives. He throws open my pettiness, my selfishness. And so He says to strive. Like I said, I also often when I hear that striving, I think, oh, how much sin must I put down? How much sin must I slay? Instead of seeing my sin for what it is and saying, who is able to stand in such a task? Who is capable of such a task as slaying the sin in me? <clears throat> we want outward strength. We want outward conformity in our own lives. We want to put on a show and hide the struggle and the weakness. We strive to do this and to do that, to achieve this one thing, to achieve that other thing. We fight and put on a good showing. <clears throat> we try to make it look like everything is together, but it isn't. We think that striving is done in our own strength, but we miss that it's in our weakness that we discover the reality. But it's only when we make that mistake and begin to fight with our strength that we discover that our strength is nothing, that we can finally submit in weakness and cry out for a blessing 
to be led through that gate, through that door, to be embraced by Jesus Himself. That striving will lead us to conviction. That striving will lead us into God's grace deeper and deeper and deeper. But there's always an error that lies close at hand. There's always a mistake that we can make that we think, well, if God has told me to do something and I'm incapable of doing it, then He must not want me to actually do that thing. He must want me to keep pursuing that wrongful thing because He's not taking it away. He's not giving me the full strength to resist it right now. And that leads us, when we have that attitude, to take our salvation for granted. And that's what we hear about in the rest of this parable. We hear so much about the ones who try to enter after the door is closed, who sit there and say, well, Lord, we, we heard you teach in our streets. We sat down and ate with you. We spent time with you, did we not? And the master of the house ignores them because they have taken that salvation for granted. They have taken that entering through the narrow door for granted. They milled about in their own lives. They milled about in their own abilities. They milled about in their own sins, ignoring the calling of Jesus, ignoring the work that He had accomplished for them already. They were blind to their actual need. Though they heard the words of Jesus, they didn't absorb the words of Jesus. It didn't reach down into their hearts. They didn't receive it and be transformed by it. They took it all for granted. And in the end, Jesus will say, depart from me. Leave, be gone, for I do not know you. You have pursued evil instead of striving, instead of entering the narrow door, instead of coming through me into this new kingdom I have given. You chose yourself over all that I had offered to you. And Jesus then tells us about the taking the salvation for granted, that those who take salvation for granted will see everyone else entering into the fullness of the kingdom. They'll see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets. And for the Jews, that's expected to see them entering into, into the kingdom. But they will be cast out, the unexpected thing. And then in their casting out, they'll look and see Peoples from the east and the west and the north and the south. The Gentile world suddenly streaming into the kingdom of God. They'll see the kingdom of God being filled with all these other people that isn't them. Because they ignored the call of Jesus. They ignored His teaching. They ignored the work that He was doing on their behalf. And they began to see that and the aftermath of Jesus' resurrection and ascension as the gospel spread throughout the people of Israel, but then quickly spread into the Gentile world. And Gentiles came ruling into the kingdom. Gentiles came into the kingdom because that was what God willed. And that is the great infilling of the kingdom right there. That is, one group took salvation for granted, and were blind to their need, the kingdom was filled with others. The kingdom was filled up with those who believed, who heard the message and responded, and clung to that message, who saw something better than Mount Sinai. They saw Mount Zion, as we heard about in Hebrews 12. They strove to enter the kingdom, and when they heard that the kingdom was open to all and to any through Jesus Christ, they believed that he had accomplished this great task and entered into the kingdom. 
But they didn't come to that mountain that was blazing with fire. They had a fence built around it. They said, if anyone touches this, they shall die. They didn't come to a mountain that even Moses feared to approach. No, the great infilling of the kingdom is coming to Mount Zion, to the new Jerusalem, coming to the innumerable angels celebrating in festal garments the work that Jesus has accomplished. That we come to the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, that we come to God who is, yes, the judge of all, but has judged all in Christ, and thus all who are in Christ are found to be free, found to be in Christ, found to be righteous in a way that they could never be on their own. The spirits of the righteous made perfect in Christ. And in coming, in that great infilling of the kingdom, we come to Jesus, the mediator of that new and glorious covenant, everything that the book of Hebrews has been about. This new covenant that overshadows, that is greater, that puts away the Mosaic covenant, the Sinaitic covenant. We come to Jesus, the mediator, the one who has put into place a new covenant into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Yes, Jesus' blood speaks a better word than Abel's, for Abel's blood spoke judgment against Cain. It cried out for justice against Cain. It cried out that Cain had murdered him. And so God confronted and judged Cain. But Jesus' blood speaks a better word. Jesus' blood speaks of forgiveness. It speaks of mercy, for He has taken the judgment upon Himself. He has taken the judgment that we deserve, that the world deserves, onto Himself. That through that sprinkled blood, we would then be cleansed. That we would be renewed, enabled to strive. Enabled to obtain the grace of God. Enabled to cast out the roots of bitterness that are so easily springing up in us. Enabled to enter into that kingdom that is found in Jesus. That kingdom that is unshakable, that kingdom that cannot be undone. For the author of Hebrews tells us that God is going to shake all things now, not just the earth, but everything. And in that shaking of everything, that which is not of God, that which is created, will fall away. will be removed in order that that which cannot be shaken would remain. And that which cannot be shaken is the kingdom of God, which has always been, for the kingdom of God is God's reign. The kingdom of God is His rule over all things. And He has been reigning from the beginning. And He has made a way into that reigning under Him through Jesus Himself. And while, yes, on one hand that door is narrow to enter through. That door is flung wide open for any to enter through. For any who hear of Jesus, who hear of His work, who hear His words, you are forgiven. Your sins are removed from you and cast from you as far as the east is from the west. All of those who hear that can enter through that narrow door that is wide open for all. They can enter into that kingdom that is God's glorious and gracious reign over the hearts of men and women. A reign that is renewing all of us. A reign that is transforming us. Because God is a consuming fire and He will transform us by His consuming of all that is dross in us. His consuming of all that is impure in us will be accomplished by His fiery work. 
his work that is found in Jesus. And so through God being that consuming fire, through his sending Jesus to deal with our sin, we can be transformed and that fire will come upon us not to destroy us, not to judge us, not to put us away and destroy us, but to purify, to lead us deeper into his holiness, to lead us deeper into his calling, to lead us deeper into the transformation and renewal and healing that he has given to us. For Jesus heals us that we might then strive. And so my striving to make my ankle work again wasn't based out of my personal work. I didn't put my ankle back together. The doctors did. The doctors put it together, put metal around it, put screws in the ankle in order to enable it to heal. They made it capable of healing. That work of others laid the groundwork for me to walk again, for me to have mobility and balance again. However, that healing meant me taking seriously my healing. To take seriously my healing is to strive to make my ankle work, to keep it working properly. I have to strive to keep doing that, and that is how our Christian life is. That yes, we have been healed. It is all of the grace of God, and that grace comes to us, and it changes us, and it pushes us forward to recognize our weakness over and over again in order that we would strive to turn to Jesus over and over again that we would receive the new work of Jesus in us, that we would be changed by that work of Jesus in us and transformed and more and more and healed so that when he returns in that renewal of all things, we will find that final and complete restoration and renewal from the brokenness that was brought into our world by Adam and Eve. And so, yes, strive to attain the grace of God. Strive to follow after that grace. Because that grace has already come before you. That grace has led you to a place of seeing weakness a little bit more clearly. And so keep striving to see your weakness so that you can be strengthened and renewed. And as you strive to be to see your weakness, and as you are then strengthened and renewed, you will be, be able to enter through that narrow door more and more. And as you see your weakness more and more, you can confess your need for God's strength, for God's renewal, for His ever-flowing forgiveness and mercy to be poured upon you, to change you and to renew you more and more. So that we can see Mount Zion thrown open for us to enter. So that we can enter in with those angels in festal garments. So that we can then celebrate ultimately the work of Jesus for us and for this world. And so let us turn from our sin and from our brokenness because we have received grace to strive, knowing that Jesus has taken all of that onto himself. And let us lay hold that, on that forgiveness, lay hold of that mercy so that we can strive to walk through those gates joyfully because Jesus has enabled us to do so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.